Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful love that you have lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is who we are. Lord, we praise you and we thank you that you have bought us, that you've reconciled us, and that you've called us into your presence. You've transferred us out of darkness into your marvelous light, into your kingdom. And I thank you for that. As we continue to pray, why don't you just take time right now and just in your own words, just praise God. Just tell him what he means to you. Just thank him for all that he has done for you. Heavenly Father, as we open up your word and we continue in our worship, can you speak to us? Can you make yourself known? Can you open up our eyes, our ears, our hearts? Can you help us to see? Can you help us to hear? Can you help us to understand? Can you help us to obey and help us to surrender? Lord, the things that we put our hope in, the things that we cling to, the sin that we refuse to give up, Lord, can you help us to surrender all of it? Can you help us to see that nothing can fulfill us, nothing can satisfy us, nothing can really bring us joy other than you? For our hope is in you. Our joy comes from you. Our meaning and our fulfillment comes from you and you alone. So come and speak to us, Lord. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You may have a seat. As well, it's good seeing all of you. A couple of announcements that I do have. Uh, don't forget, uh, this evening at 6 o'clock is our next member gathering. And so if you are a covenant member, um, it's one of your responsibility as a covenant member to participate uh, in these member gatherings. And what we do in these member gatherings is kind of uh, reflect what the Lord has done, uh, celebrate what the Lord has done, talk about, uh, especially this, this meeting, we're going to talk about the kickoff of our fall and our discipleship, exemplify our our life group, and all the things that, that's going to take place uh, this upcoming fall. And so we're going to talk about it. If you have any questions, discuss it. Pray, ask the Lord to really uh, bless this fall season. Uh, so don't forget to participate in that at 6 o'clock uh, this evening. And then also, if you're interested in participating in one of our core classes, The Christian Story, you better sign up because it starts Wednesday, and you need to figure out how to get the book and have the first chapter read by Wednesday. So if you want to sign up but you can't get the book in time. Uh, the book is free on Hoopla where you can listen to it, uh, the first chapter, but I would highly recommend then advise you time to go ahead and purchase the book uh, so that you can start reading. Um, so please sign up. And then there's also going to be a workbook. So we need you to sign up because we need to know how many workbooks to, to print and also uh, for child care with that. But if you have your Bibles, uh, let's turn to Psalm 11. So we're going to be in Psalm 11. Now in this Psalm, David finds himself in a bad situation. Uh, more than likely, he is fleeing from Saul, who's trying to hunt him down and take his life. And so this is a serious time in the life of David. And this psalm is a psalm of confidence in the Lord. You see, you see, so many times we see ourselves and our situations and our circumstances kind of sway our emotions and even our trust in the Lord as we see evil triumph, as we see chaos surrounds us. And what David is going to do is he's going to remind us that regardless of our situation, we see our situation hopeless. When we see evil prevailing and we see chaos surround us, what do we do? David is going to remind us to take refuge in the Lord, to trust the Lord, to put our confidence in Him as He's reminding us. We do not walk by sight, but rather we walk by faith. And so the beginning of this psalm, psalm is kind of expressing the words of friends and advisors, telling David, look at the situation. 
Look at what's going on. What can the righteous do? It's best for you to escape. It's best for you to flee. For logic and reason dictates that this situation is hopeless and there's no way out. And the psalmist encourages his friends and says, no. My eyes are looking beyond my situation, my circumstances, beyond the hopelessness, beyond the chaos, beyond the evil that seems to be so prevalent, but rather my eyes is in heaven where God is sitting on his throne and he's watching and examining all the people. My hope is in him as I am trusting him, knowing that one day evil will be judged and will be completely destroyed. And so here's my hope for us today that as we look at the psalm and we even reflect in our own lives and our own situation and our own hopelessness as we see chaos surrounds us, as we see it's almost like evil is so prevalent and evil is triumphing and we find ourselves in a hopeless situation just wanting to flee, wanting to escape everything. My hope for us is that we would kind of reorient our eyes. That instead of looking at our situation, that we would look to God and put our refuge in Him. And so in this psalm, we're, we're going to talk about what it means to put our refuge in the Lord, why we can put our refuge in the Lord, and what promises we can cling to as we put our refuge in the Lord. And so we're going to talk about this psalm, kind of explain it, teach it, and then we're going to take time and pray through it and pray this uh, in our own lives. So let's look, let's look at uh, Psalm 11, verse 1. It says this, I have taken refuge in the Lord. How can you say to me, escape to the mountains like a bird? For look, the wicked string bows. They put their arrows on bowstrings to shoot from the shadows at the upright and heart. When the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So, so David says, I have put my confidence in the Lord. As I'm surrounded by wickedness, and even in the midst of him receiving counsel from his friends or his advisors, his advisors are telling him, escape to the mountains like a bird. In other words, it's almost saying like, escape quickly and quietly to an area where nobody can find you. And here are the reasons why his advisors are telling him to escape to the mountains, to flee from this hopeless situation. Look, look at verse 2 and verse 3. Here's their reasons. For look, the wicked string bows, they put their arrows on bowstrings to shoot from the shadows at the upright and heart. And when the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, normally in the psalm, the evil of the tongue normally is metaphorically described in terms of deadly weapons. So, 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 so slandering, the, the metaphor is used like that of a sword or that of a bow and an arrow. And so when the psalmist, when the advisors are saying, for look, the wicked string their bows to put, they put their arrows on bow strings. It's not literally they're waiting in the woods to shoot you. But rather what they're saying is look at how the wicked are slandering you as they stalk you and wanting to destroy you. So the very first reason of, of why David's advisors and friends are telling him to flee the situation and to escape to the mountains because they're saying, look, the wicked are slandering you. They're waiting, they're stalking you, wanting to destroy you. Their tongues are like bows. Their words are like arrows against the string. And they lie in ambush with their tongue to hurl a sudden insult at you. And the reason why I think the best way to look at it is not physical, but rather metaphorical as we compare it to, to slandering, is because David is a soldier. Like David can fight with physical weapons, but what do you do when somebody constantly insults you and slanders you? And take every single word and twist it. And waiting for you to misstep. So that they can take that knife and just squeeze it in and just turn it. And so David's advisors are telling him, look, you have too many enemies that are lying in ambush slandering you, speaking ill of you, and there's nothing you can do about it. 
The second reason why they tell David to, 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 to run is not only are they slandering him as they're stalking him to, 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 as a predator to kill him, but the second reason is the wicked lurk in the dark. Like they are, the, 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 in, verse, in verse 2 it says, to shoot uh, from the, the shadows. They're lurking in the dark. Like this battle is not in the open where you can see it coming, but rather evil. Well, what is evil? It's pervasive, and yet you cannot see it. It lurks in the shadows. It lurks in the dark. It's deceptive, and it's filled with treachery. It's like one thing if you can see the evil, identify the evil, and fight it in the open, but what are you going to do when it's in the shadows, when it's in the dark, and you can't see it coming? And this is what David's advisors are saying, like, look at this slander. It's coming out of nowhere. It's lurking in the dark. You have no chance to fight it, so just escape. And then in verse 3, his advisors are telling him, when the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So in other words, the third reason why they're telling him to escape is not only because the wicked are slandering him, wanting to destroy him, they're lurking in the dark, but the third reason is the foundations are destroyed. Now, now what do they mean by foundations? I think the best way to look at it is this foundations appears to be a metaphor for the order of society. So in other words, when the established institution the social and civil order of community appears to be destroyed. And God's justice and God's law is replaced by human autonomy and everybody does what is right in their own eyes and it leads to anarchy. What can the righteous do? Like, think about this. What do you do when the order of society crumbles and everything is in chaos and anarchy rules, as advisors are saying, there's nothing you can do. Go to the mountains and hide. And then the last reason is they ask this question. As the foundations are destroyed, the wicked are ruling. And their very, very intentions and ruling is for anarchy to become the way of life. And as a righteous person, there's nothing you can do. So this is what they're telling David. Now, now there are two responses to this immediate threat. What do you do when the wicked are lurking, lying in ambush, wanting to destroy you? Evil is prevalent and is spreading Chaos surrounds us. The very foundation of society is crumbling, and anarchy becomes the way of life. You have two options. The option number one is, is this what the advisors are saying? There's nothing you can do. So take, escape, flee, run to the mountains, and wait for the dust to settle, and maybe things will get back to normal. But what does David say? How do we respond? Look at verse 1. He, he's already said, this is how I'm going to respond. He says, I have taken refuge in the Lord. In other words, I'm taking refuge in Him. I'm putting my trust and my confidence in Him. I'm not fleeing. I'm not escaping. I'm seeking refuge in the Lord. I'm seeking asylum in Him. So, so, so I want us to stop here and, and kind of talk a little, pray about this um, but get you the, give you this idea. So as you think about your own life and your own circumstances, what do you do even today where it seems like evil is so prevalent? What do you do where it seems like the social order is collapsing with injustices and laws just kind of been put to the side and everybody is just doing what's right in their own eyes and there seems like there's anarchy brewing everywhere? Do you run? Do you hide? It seems like logic dictates it, reason dictates it, because what can you do? And David is saying, no, take refuge in the Lord. Put your trust and your confidence in Him. And so what I want you to do is, I want you to, I'm going to give you a, a minute or two, I want you to read verses 1 through verses 3. I want you to think about your own circumstances and the chaos that we find ourselves even today. And then ask the Lord, help me to put my refuge in you, take refuge in you. 
So, so, so go ahead and, and pray this uh, for your lives, and then I'll, I'll close this in prayer, and we'll move on. Heavenly Father, you know our circumstances and our situation. Lord, as we look around us and we see the pervasiveness of evil and we see chaos and we see injustices and we see people defy the law, as we see almost anarchy breaking out. Lord, our logic dictates, our, our reason tells us to hide, to flee. But can you help us to find refuge in you? Can you help us to put our trust and our confidence in you? Can you help us to look beyond our circumstances and our situation and look to you? Lord, you know the anxieties that we're wrestling with. You know the fears. You know the worries. Can you help us to surrender those to you and lay it at your feet as we hide in you? For there we are safe. For there you will protect us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as the psalmist is saying, regardless of what's going on in life and in this situation, take refuge in the Lord. One of the questions, a natural question is like, what are some of the reasons? Like, like why can I take refuge in the Lord? And this is what David says in verse 4. He says, look, verse 4, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord, his throne is in heaven. His eyes watch. His gaze examines everyone. The Lord examines the righteous, but he hates the wicked and those who love violence. Let him rain burning coals and sulfur on the wicked. Let a scorching wind be the portion in their cup. So, so in other words, what, what David is doing is David is looking beyond his advisors, beyond his circumstances, beyond his enemies as he's looking to the Lord who is sitting in his holy temple. Now, this holy temple is not the temple that Solomon built because we know the temple that Solomon built is only a shadow of the temple in heaven. And so what David is, is doing, the reason why I can take refuge in the Lord and put my trust and my confidence in him is not because he told me to do so, but the reason why is because the Lord is in his holy temple on his throne. In other words, the throne of the Lord is the symbol of his power, of his rule, and of his authority to judge. So why can I take refuge in the Lord? Because he's in his palace in heaven, in his holy temple, sitting on his throne, ruling and reigning. 
And the second reason is, is because from his throne in heaven, he sees all things. He watches and he examines humanity. In other words, if you, if you look at verse 4 again, it says his eyes watch, his gaze, or, or literally his eyelids examines everyone. And so what is the Lord doing right now? He's patiently watching, examining, observing the activity of humanity. And it may seem that God is inactive. It may seem that God doesn't care, that God is passive. But David is saying, "Uh uh-uh, what's he doing? He's watching, he's examining. And and this verb examine literally means to to test. So so what is he doing? He is testing the activity of humanity. It's kind of the, the same verb that kind of has this connotation of a metal worker that is purifying gold and silver. And even though the holy God might not immediately judge the wickedness, he's examining, he is watching, he is testing. And he says uh, in in verse 5, the Lord examines the righteous, but he hates the wicked and those who love violence. In his holiness, he excludes any love to those who love violence for personal gain. So why can we take refuge in the Lord? Because he's on his throne, sitting in his holy temple. He's watching and he's examining the activity of humanity. And the third reason is, and in his time, God will judge the wicked. Verse 6 says this, let him rain burning coals and sulfur on the wicked. So, 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 so the very first metaphor that he uses for the Lord's destruction, it will be like his judgment will be like fiery coals, burning sulfur that will consume them just like it did Sodom and Gomorrah. And who can withstand the wrath of God? No one and no thing. But then he uses a second metaphor. He says, let a scorching wind be the portion in their cup. So, so the imagery of a, of a scorching wind, uh, it's kind of this in the, in the hot desert wind blows over the, the Middle East during the transition of seasons from, from spring to summer and summer to fall. And when it blows, it blows for a day or two, its effects is devastating because you see this rich, lush landscape. And after the winds blow, all you see is parched and withered plants. In other words, what he is saying, the wicked are like the flowers who blossom and bloom, who spread, and you're thinking, how do you eradicate it? And the Lord is like a scorching wind that the flowers are there one day and the next day they are gone. And their cup is the Hebrew idiom for the wrath of God. What is their portion? The cup of God's wrath. The cup that our Lord drank in our place. So regardless of our circumstances, where evil is prevalent and chaos surrounds us, we don't escape, but we take refuge in the Lord. And why can we take refuge in the Lord? Because the Lord is sitting on his throne in his holy temple. The Lord is watching and examining all the activities of man, and he will destroy the wicked completely. And so what I want us to do, again, I want us to to read verses 4 through verses 6 and pray this for, for your life. Say, Lord, help me, in a sense, to see beyond my circumstances, that you are sitting on your throne, that you are not inactive, but you are watching and examining, and that you will rightfully destroy the wicked completely. Go ahead and pray this for your lives, and then I'll go and and close this in prayer, and then we will move on.
Lord, you see what we cannot see. Every part of our lives is part of your sovereign and perfect plan. Lord, you can take the worst thing and turn it into the best thing. So we trust you. We trust that you will make our paths straight. And we know that regardless of what happens, you remain faithful. Lord, some might tell us to flee. Some might say, what can we do? Let's just give up. But can you help us to respond and say, no, we will trust you. We will take refuge in you. For our confidence is in you. Can you help us to look beyond our circumstances? To look beyond the situation? To keep our eyes on you because you are sitting on your throne in your heavenly palace, in your holy temple, and you are watching and you are examining all the activity of man. You are watching the righteous. You're watching the wicked. And you despise the wicked and those who do violence. And you will one day completely destroy them. So, Lord, can these truths encourage us to keep our eyes on you, to take refuge in you? We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as David's advisors are telling him to flee because of his circumstances, because of the pervasiveness of evil and the chaos that surrounds him, David says, no, my confidence is in the Lord. My refuge is in him as I'm looking because he's sitting on his throne, because he's watching and examining all the activities of humanity, and he will one day destroy the wicked completely. And so we looked at what to do, take refuge in the Lord in the midst of chaos. We talked about why we can take refuge in the Lord. But now in verse 7 is, as we take refuge in the Lord, what promise do we have that we can cling to? Verse 7 says this, For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright will see his face. And, and, and so, so, so in other words, God will make his presence known to his people in darkness. And, the, and that, that's why it says the upright will see his face. And to see the face of God is an expression of his deliverance from adversity. It's this idea of close communion with God, the reality of his blessed assurance. Because when we see the face of God and living in the presence of God, where is evil? Nowhere to be found. Because why? Evil cannot stand the presence of God because God is like a consuming fire that destroys and consumes anything that is imperfect. So in other words, the promise that we can cling to and the pervasiveness of evil as we take refuge in the Lord is that the upright will see his face. In other words, the Lord will deliver us. We will be in close communion with him and we will enjoy his presence forever. And in a sense, we can enjoy his presence in this world. And we can also enjoy his presence in the world to come. How can we enjoy his presence uh, in this world? What do we have? The Holy Spirit. And what is the Spirit? The Spirit is the very presence of God, the very power of God that lives inside of us. And Jesus even tells us and promises what will he never do? He will never forsake us. And so, why, so, so, so what's the promise that we can cling to as we take refuge in the Lord in the midst of the pervasiveness of evil and chaos surrounds us? The very presence of the Lord, he will deliver 
us, and we will enjoy him forever. Now, I want to end with, with this. We kind of talked about what to do in the midst of chaos, in the midst of hopelessness and pervasiveness of evil. And David says, take refuge in the Lord. And we talked about why can we take refuge in the Lord? Because the Lord is on his throne. The Lord watches, examines everything, everyone. Because the Lord is going to destroy the wicked. And the promise that we can cling to as we take refuge in the Lord is that the upright will see his face. But here's a question I haven't addressed and I wanna keep it for the last what does it look like? What does it mean for us to take refuge in the Lord? Because here's a problem with verse 7. The problem with verse 7 is this. What does the Lord love? The Lord is righteous, and what does he love? He loves righteous deeds, and who will see his face? The upright, the righteous. Here's the problem. Since the Lord is righteous, and the Lord loves righteous deeds, and only the upright will see his face, what are we not? We're not righteous. You're like, well, how do you know? Well, the very guy who says the upright will see his face, he says in chapter Psalm, Psalm 14, that no one is righteous. And I find it ironic that he says the upright will see his face in a couple chapters, uh, not, not that it is chronological, but in another psalm, this is what he writes. Look at, look at Psalm 14. It says you don't even have to turn a page. It's probably in the same page uh, that you're in, at least in my Bible. Maybe for you it's the next page. But look, look at Psalm 14 here. The fool says in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt. They do vile deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the human race to see if there's one who is wise, one who seeks God. And what does he conclude? All have turned away. All alike have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. So there's the problem. The problem is the Lord loves righteousness. The Lord is righteous. And the upright will see his face. But the problem is there's no one righteous. And so if we are unrighteous in God's eyes and he examines us, he watches us, he tests our actions and he knows our heart and there's nothing we can hide, we have a problem. Somehow we need our righteousness to be exchanged with somebody else's righteousness. We need our lives to be exchanged with somebody else's life because if God looks at us and examines us and he knows our hearts and our thoughts and there's nothing we can hide, we need a better righteousness. And this is what David was looking to. And Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 22 to 24, there is a better righteousness. He says this, the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. Since, the, since, the, since God loves righteousness, he is righteous, he loves righteousness, the upright will see his face. He revealed his righteousness in the personal work of Jesus Christ. And, the personal, and this righteousness now is made available to who? To all who believe without any distinction. So in other words, without any distinction means it doesn't matter how righteous you thought you were or how unrighteous you know you are. It doesn't matter where you come from or your background. This righteousness of God is made available in Christ through all who believe. And then he says in verse 25, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, technically, we're all unrighteous, and we all need the righteousness of God that's revealed to us in Jesus Christ. And then he says, verse 24, they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, how has this righteousness been made available? How did this exchange happen, my unrighteousness, for his righteousness? It happened because of God's grace acting in what Jesus Christ has done. He has redeemed you. He has purchased you. And based on what he has done, and you looking to him in faith, 
the Lord justifies you. And the word justify means to declare you righteous. In other words, God declares us righteous by his grace on the basis of Christ's work on the cross. And this is made available through faith. Now, I know all of you know that. I'm not giving you any new information. What does it have to do with taking refuge in the Lord? If you think about this, what's at the heart of taking refuge in the Lord? Think about it. Faith. We can take refuge in the Lord because of Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, we cannot take refuge in the Lord because we are unrighteous. And what will the Lord do to unrighteous people? Completely destroy them. And yet because of Jesus Christ exchanging his righteousness with our unrighteousness, we, as we look to Christ in faith, now are allowed to take refuge in the Lord. You're like, well, Jesus didn't die for David yet. Yes, but David in faith looked that somehow God is going to provide for him a way to find refuge in the Lord. So in other words, the very first thing, what it means to take refuge in the Lord, means to cling to Jesus Christ and believing in what he has done for you, making it available for you to be able to take refuge in the Lord. That's the very first thing. The second thing of what it means to take refuge in the Lord is not only do we look to Christ in faith, Believing in this exchange that took place that God accepts us because of Christ's righteousness and his work for us. But the actual act of taking refuge in the Lord is an act of faith. For what that means is not only do I just look to Christ now believing that I can take refuge in the Lord. But I take refuge in the Lord by trusting him, putting my confidence in him, not in myself, but in him. You see, so many times we put confidence in ourselves to deal with the situation, whether it's to fight it or to escape it, and taking refuge in the Lord is saying, no, I'm not putting any stock in myself. I'm putting my confidence in the Lord. And as I'm putting my confidence in the Lord, I'm looking to him. I'm resting in him. I'm believing that he's sitting on his throne, that he is seeing and watching all the activity of humanity, and that one day he will destroy all evil. And that he will deliver me from adversity. And so what it means to take refuge in the Lord is not just clinging to Christ and what he's done for you, but also putting your trust and your confidence in the Lord as you're resting in him, trusting him that he is sitting on his throne, that he is ruling, that he is reigning, that he is watching everything, and he will destroy evil. But there's one more of what it means to take refuge in the Lord. If we look through the whole Psalm 11, what does the Lord do? If you look at verse 5, it says, The Lord examines the righteous, but he hates the wicked. If you look at verse 7, For the Lord is righteous, and what does he love? He loves righteous deeds. Here's a third way of what it means to take refuge in the Lord or how we take refuge in the Lord. It's not just clinging to Christ. It's not just putting our confidence in him. But it also means that in the midst of us trusting him, putting our confidence in him, taking refuge in the Lord also means pursuing a life of holiness and godliness in a chaotic world. Because what does the Lord love? Righteous deeds. Who does the Lord examine? Only the wicked? No, the righteous and the wicked. And if you really think about it, it is only because of Jesus Christ that we can pursue holiness, that we can pursue righteous acts, that we can pursue godliness because of what he has done for us. So taking refuge in the Lord is not just simply trusting and putting your confidence in Him, but it's also walking in holiness and godliness, pursuing righteousness. Why? Because that is what the Lord loves. And in a sense, that's also walking in faith. 
especially in a chaotic world. And, and I hope this psalm really speaks to us because here's what I see today. What I see today is that as evil seems to be pervasive and there's chaos and we're almost in the brink of anarchy, how do Christians look like the world? Is there a distinction in how we're acting? Let's be honest. We're not pursuing holiness. We're not pursuing godliness. We're not pursuing righteous deeds. That means we're not taking refuge in the Lord. We're not putting our confidence in Him. We're putting our confidence in ourselves. And I'm not condemning you. I'm hoping that the Spirit will convict you in a sense of saying, this is how we ought to act in a chaotic world. Don't act like them. Pursue holiness. Pursue godliness. Pursue righteousness. Let's, let's keep our distinction from this world. Let's look different as we find refuge in the Lord, putting our confidence in Him, clinging to Christ and the salvation He's accomplished, believing that we can pursue holiness because of what Christ has accomplished for us. For what does the Lord love? Righteous deeds. For who does the Lord examine? Both the righteous and the wicked. And what's the promise that we can cling to? As we pursue holiness, as we pursue godliness, as we pursue righteous deeds, and because in faith, we're walking in faith, trusting the Lord, the promise we can cling to that we will one day see his face. Because let's just be honest, pursuing holiness, pursuing godliness, pursuing righteous deeds is not fun in a chaotic world. It makes it even more, it's, that's difficult, in a normal society, it becomes even more difficult in a chaotic society. But where's our confidence? Where's our trust? It's in the Lord. This is what it means to put our refuge in the Lord. So why don't you go ahead and, and read verse 7 and, and just ask the Lord to help you to love righteousness to cling to Jesus Christ and the righteousness that he's exchanged for you to pursue holiness and godliness, not because you're that awesome, but because of what he has done and he has enabled you to pursue these things. And then I'll close this in prayer and then we'll get to the table. Lord, I thank you for the promise of deliverance and the promise of your presence. Lord, can you help us to cling to this promise? Can you help us to take refuge in you as we cling to Jesus Christ? believing and holding on to him and what he's accomplished for us, declaring us righteous so that we can take refuge in you. Can, can you help us to not put our confidence in ourselves or in our abilities, but to put it in you as we trust in you, rest in you, look to you beyond our circumstances? And Lord, can you help us to pursue holiness? Can you help us to flee from our youthful passions? Help us to flee from evil. Help us to put off the desires of the flesh and help us to run to you as we pursue holiness, as we pursue godliness, as we're taking off the flesh and walking by the Spirit. And Lord, all of this is an act of faith. 
And Lord, when we fall short, help us to be quick to confess. Help us to, to repent. Help us to reorient our eyes and to look to you. Lord, help us to remain distinct in this chaotic time. Help us to show the world what it looks like to take refuge in the Lord and, re- and showing them that there's no other place to find refuge but the Lord. For you are our refuge and our strength. And you invite us in to take refuge. And you've given us a wonderful promise to cling to. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we get to the table, like, if you really think about this table, it's, it's a visible display of the promise of God. Because think about what this table represents. This table reminds us, it's a shadow of the great wedding banquet, the feast. In other words, it's when the righteous gather, the children of God, the bride of Christ, sitting in the presence of God and feasting and so it reminds us of this promise you see so many times in our lack of pursuit of holiness and godliness and righteousness is because we have a tendency to forget the promises of god we 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 forget this and what this table and what i want us to focus on is to to remind us of this wedding feast that's waiting for us the very presence of god that we are going to enjoy fully but even now we get to enjoy some and this is why we come this is why we gather when we open up his word where two or more gather his presence are here when we open up the word the lord is speaking to us because the bible is the very word of god and when we sit at the table it is the table of god where we're eating and drinking in the presence of god And so when you find yourself discouraged, when you find yourself overwhelmed, when you find yourself lacking faith and you're kind of getting consumed by the chaos and by everything that is going on, I think this is a wonderful reminder for us to be reminded of the promise of God. That we get to see his face because of Jesus Christ. And this is why we see the elements on the table. It is because of his body that was broken for us, his blood that was shed for us, his righteousness exchanged for our righteousness, his life for our life, that we get to see his face and eat and drink in his presence as we celebrate how he has delivered us from the penalty of sin and the power of sin, and one day we will celebrate how he has delivered us from the very presence of sin. And so as we distribute these elements, I I, I want you to use this as a time to meditate on on this promise that one day we will see his face. One day we will eat and drink in his presence. And it's not because we were righteous and we were good, but rather because of a righteousness that was exchanged for our righteousness. And now we have the ability to pursue righteous deeds, to pursue holiness and godliness let me pray we'll distribute these elements and we'll celebrate it together lord thank you uh, for this table thank you for the promise you have given us help us to cling to these promises and help us to 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 remember that we are not in your presence because we're righteous we're in your presence because we've been declared righteous and that is because of jesus christ on the cross for us we thank you for that and we praise you for that in jesus name Amen. As I said, this table is a shadow of the great wedding feast. So I want you to think about, use your imagination about this great wedding feast. This massive table where every people from every tribe and every tongue is gathering to celebrate the Lamb of God who has taken away sin. To celebrate the groom that has adorned the bride as we eat the best food and we drink the best drinks and there's no longer faith required because where's God? He is right here. I can see him with my very own eyes. 
as I eating and drinking in his presence. This is the promise that we need to cling to people. Do not forget. And how do we know we're going to enjoy it? Because of this bread that represents Christ's body that was broken for us. And so we eat it to remember of what he's done for us. Take it and eat it. We know we can enjoy it because of this cup that represents Christ's blood that was shed for us, that washed us, that made us new, the covenant, the everlasting covenant we have in him. And so we drink it in remembrance of him. Take it and we drink it. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this promise that you have given us. The promise of deliverance. The promise of your presence. And even now that we experience some of your presence, one day we will experience it fully. And so Lord, help us again in the midst of chaos, in the midst of the pervasiveness of evil, Lord, help us to take refuge in you, keeping our eyes on you, trusting in you, clinging to you, Lord Jesus walking in holiness, pursuing godliness and righteous deeds, for you love righteous deeds. And the only reason we can do it is because of your son that have bought us and saved us and made us new. So Lord, empower us, strengthen us in this crazy time as we take refuge in you. And we thank you again for your promise. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand. Let us worship our King.